I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. My new book is out this week, American Afterlife, a thriller, my first novel in five years because I wrote so, so badly after my brain injury. But American Afterlife released this week, and it's the first novel in the American Afterlife trilogy, so I've got a gritty thriller trilogy coming your way. And I just got my first Amazon review, so I wanted to read that Amazon review aloud as the intro to this podcast episode. This review is written by someone named Outlaw Poet, and they got an arc via NetGalley. That's how they were already able to read it. Outlaw Poet writes, This is a very bleak read. I'm telling you from the start that after reading this, you'll want to go pet a puppy or smile at a baby, but it won't work and you'll be stuck in the despair of it all until you read something lighter. That being said, it's also a very good read. Cielo is amazing. I wanted to hug her and protect her. The only problem is that she wouldn't trust me would end up stabbing me or something before I could comfort her. And then, as I lay lay there bleeding out, I'd still want to protect her from the author's world. The world the author has created is one of endless horrors. A specter read that pulls very few punches, gives you a heroine to truly root for, and leaves you breathless. Five out of five stars. Like I said, my last book released five years ago in 2017. That was Too Shattered for Mending. And I had some of my most amazing author experiences with the release of that book. For example, my favorite event I've ever done was at McNally Jackson Bookstore in Soho in New York City. It was set up by David Levitan. We were there for the New York Authors Festival. And at McNally Jackson that night, it was packed because we had six authors together the other five way more famous than me. And we were all supposed to be talking about writing sex in novels. The panel was a straight writer, a gay writer, a straight writer, a gay writer, a straight writer, and a gay writer. And we were supposed to read aloud sex scenes from each other's books. And then we were supposed to take author and um, writer and editor and audience questions on writing sex. So it was this big dynamic panel, super fun. Everything that night was about writing sex. And then afterwards, we had this author book signing. So the six of us were at separate tables. And Nicole Yoon's line was like 200 people long. And my line had like nobody in it at all. And I was just like, hey guys, if anybody wants to talk about my book or anything, we could. And it was just an amazing, amazing night. And in that same New York author festival um i got to be the first author to ever visit a school in harlem and got to walk through the projects go in put my backpack through the x-ray machine walk through the metal detectors go in there and when i sat down to do the panel in front of all these teenagers they had three by five note cards that they'd written on and they were so polite they were like um mr Hover." 
Hoppemeister, um, I have a question about your novel. This is the part where you laugh. And uh, they would read these questions and they were just really insightful and interesting and fun. But after that visit, uh, there were some embarrassing moments. For example, the Polish librarian of Harlem had set up a book display for all these authors. And she wanted to take us to the library and take us out to breakfast at her favorite breakfast place. So she takes us to this Jamaican breakfast dive. It's this diner. And the food is all fried and the whole place smells amazing. And the coffee is really good. And the waitress gives me a really good um, recommendation for a breakfast plate. And it's amazing. But the author right next to me, she looks up at the waitress and she's like, um, are there any vegan options? And the waitress is like from Jamaica and is like, mm, no. <laughs> and then she's like, um, are, are the eggs organic then? And the Jamaican waitress is like, mm, no. <laughs> and then as if that wasn't bad enough, the Polish librarian of Harlem has set up a display of all our books in the library and she wants to take us there so we can see what she did for us. And the author next to me is like, yeah, I'm actually super busy this afternoon, so I don't think I can go. And I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm not with her. I'm, I may be sitting next to her, but I'm not with her. When you publish a book in the United States, you have a chance to get critical reviews. For example, Publishers Weekly is the most important critical reviewer in the US. And if you publish a book in descending order, the best thing that can happen is that Publishers Weekly gives you a starred review. That means they feature your book and it's one of the best books to come out in a publishing cycle. Next, you could get a review from Publishers Weekly where critics read your book, they may like it, they may think it's in the middle, they may not think it's that great, but they'll give a summary, they'll say a few things that, you know, evaluate the book, and then they'll uh, post the review. Third thing that can happen is that either their reviewers read your book and don't like it and don't write any review at all, or nobody reads it and you don't get any review at all which happened with my first book and also happened with my second book. So sometimes you just don't get a review at all because you're not famous at all and your book isn't, you know, noted in any way by any critics. But I did get a Publishers Weekly review for this new book, American Afterlife. So I'll read that review here. American Afterlife by Pedro Hoffmeister. A powerful earthquake in Eugene, Oregon has left Cielo the teenage narrator of this impressive thriller from Hofmeister, scrounging for food and supplies in demolished and abandoned homes, steeling herself against the sights and smells of the ubiquitous human remains. The initial absence of any relief efforts and of any adult she can trust makes even a minor injury life-threatening. Cielo is also bent on finding her missing Mexican immigrant mother, who has allied herself with a cult, the collection of redeemed souls. Her mother was drawn to the group's halcyon promises that its followers would be raptured before the world's tribulations into a new earth, whose streets would be paved with gold. 
Cielo must search for nutrition, water, shelter, and her mother while dodging members of the collection who are searching through the devastation for people they can compel to join them. Hoffmeister doesn't pull any punches as he gives new life to the familiar premise of a lone protagonist struggling to survive in an apocalyptic landscape and expertly uses first-person narration to convey a sense of immediacy. This is a masterful, intelligent page-turner from a talent to watch. Agent Yishai Seidman, Dunno Carlson and Lerner Literary, starred review. So I was stoked, got a starred review from Publishers Weekly. But I have to admit, I had to look up the word, word uh, halcyon um, and how to say it. I guess halcyon is denoting a period of time in the past that was idyllically happy and peaceful. I didn't know that. But I looked it up and I learned how to say it. Halcyon. Halcyon. I can say halcyon now. I could probably use it in a sentence. I don't know. Maybe not. So I was stoked. Got a starred review from Publishers Weekly. But the cool thing about the internet is that anybody can review anything. And if you don't like something, you can still review it and you can rip it. So on Goodreads, a book sharing website, a person named Valerie Ann, who has 13 followers, wrote, did not finish at about 20% of the book. I lost interest, set it down, and never picked it up again. I just don't think I was in the mood for this kind of post-apocalyptic story. No stars out of five. And then, just today, December 8th, a person named Nick on Goodreads, who has zero followers, wrote, didn't like it at all. Too political. One star out of five. It's a little bit insane to write a book these days. I mean, do people read anymore? 300, 400 pages, no pictures, little black words, white spaces, no video. I mean, Books were super cool in the 1800s, right? Books were super cool in the early 1900s. Authors were rock stars. I mean, now, authors aren't cool. Writing books is a dying art, so it's a little crazy to actually do it. Go, you know, I think I'm going to spend the next, like, two or three years just working on one book so that uh, I can get it out in the world, even though nobody wants books anymore it's kind of crazy right and every author i know has a reading fail book release parties used to be a huge thing like crowds and book signing table and tons of alcohol flowing and everybody's stoked and everybody's asking questions and i try to recreate that whenever i can like you can definitely do it in your hometown or like in New York City, if you read in a bar, you can bring a bunch of editors and writers and people together. And in your hometown, it works out well. I just got to do a book release with Anna Grace and uh, her new book, A Rancher Worth Remembering, just came out through Harlequin. And I thought that would be funny to have genre night in America, like a romance novel and a thriller. And we read back and forth first sentences and hers was a pretty first sentence. And 
my first sentence, you know, had dead bodies in it. And then we read little pieces of a romance novel and a thriller novel back and forth and back and forth. And that was great. So you can make the events fun. But when your publisher sends you out on the road, then your readings really fail. For example, with my first book, The End of Boys, I went on a little mini reading tour up and down the West Coast. And I got to Seattle at this great bookstore. And the manager had put up posters and they talked to people before my reading. And I got there and we had, you know, 70 chairs set up and a podium and a mic. And my wife Jay was there and my cousin Olivia was there and my wife Sam Jane was there. And right before the reading started, one little old lady showed up. And that was it. One person from Seattle just showed up and came to my reading. And it was so awkward. The manager's like, do you even, do, do, do you even want to do a reading? Do you want to, should we, we still do this? Do you want to just talk to that lady? And I was like, uh, no, I mean, I'll read to her. So came down from the stage and the podium and just scooted up chairs. And my wife, cousin, aunt, and one little old lady, we sat in a circle. And I read aloud to the little old lady. And she was super cute and asked questions. And she bought a copy for her daughter. But it wasn't just with my first book. With my fourth book, this is the part where you laugh. I had a reading in Beaverton, Oregon. And Beaverton, Oregon is kind of a wealthy suburb of Portland. And my books are as unsuburban as it gets. And pretty much as unwealthy as it gets. Critics always call them gritty. So I have these gritty novels. And then I go to this really wealthy suburb. And when I get to the bookstore, all the chairs are set up, 50 chairs and a podium and a mic, same kind of thing, right? Talk to the manager. He's really nice, manager of the bookstore. But the bookstore is also in a mini mall. So it's like a wealthy suburb with a mini mall reading and nobody from Beaverton at all comes to the reading. Two of my old students drive over from Portland and they show up and it's just me and my two old students. And after 15 minutes and nobody else showing up, I'm just like, let's go out and get drinks. And I go and buy them drinks and we just hang out and talk for an hour and a half. And then they drive back to Portland and I drive back to Eugene. And that was my reading for my fourth book. And then I had a fail reading for my fifth book, Too Shattered for Mending. Uh, I went up to Spokane and I was supposed to read the night before John Green read from his new novel. And you know, John Green's an international superstar. So I get there and they've got it all set up for us back to back, right? And I'd visited schools that day in Spokane and that was awesome. High school kids are amazing and I got to visit English classes and it was great. I wanted to go to the low income schools, so I did. And kids were wonderful and had good questions and they were really insightful and intelligent. But the reading in downtown Spokane, back to back nights with John Green, it's all set up for John Green and sort of me. And I sign all these book copies and the manager again is wonderful and she's taking me around. And then when I go upstairs for the reading, there's all these chairs set out and a podium and a mic and not a single human shows up. Not one. Nobody. Not even somebody I know. Not even a family member. So she's like, let me just make an open call in the bookstore. So it's a pretty wonderful big two-story bookstore and she calls out to the bookstore like we've got an author here tonight you should all come up here and there's you know many people in the bookstore all over the bookstore it's evening and it's a perfect time to go to a bookstore 
and four brave souls come up to listen to an author they've never heard of. And I read to four people and the manager, and they ask some good questions, and it was fine. And that's how a lot of book events go these days. Since this is a book release podcast episode, I'm going to read the opening chapter of American Afterlife. The opening chapter is all of a page and a half. I'm not smart enough to write long chapters. Chapter one is narrated by Cielo Sky, a 15-year-old. She's alone in Eugene, Oregon. The title is My Island. Two days after, and I can already smell the bodies decomposing in the houses. I stand on the sidewalk outside, wondering if it's the meat of them. Not the bones, but the soft tissues, and the gases building. The sense of rancid fats coming through skin. No flesh wrapped in plastic, no flesh refrigerated. I close my eyes and tell my mind to go somewhere else. But this is where I am, stuck. The houses in the neighborhood are pulled sideways off their foundations, all of their upper stories caved, and some of their lower stories too, trees through roof gaps, houses like boats broken against rocks. I've spent the last 24 hours searching through the wreckage on the upper half of the block. All of the other survivors are gone now. People evacuated yesterday morning, moved out while I hid. I waited for them to leave. And now my hill is an island, the flood water from the broken dams reaching the bottom of the block at 19th Street. All of Lower Moss Street is underwater, the houses mostly covered, but a few of the taller roofs above the waterline still the dark archipelago spaced along the straight lines of city planning. I stay up here on the hill, move through houses, take items back to my garage where I live, bottled water, food, matches. I organize at night by the light of three or four tea candles. If my mother comes back, I'll be here, ready. I'll be all stocked up, and she will come back, I'm sure of that. She wasn't worried about me before, but after this, after the earthquake, she has to be. I do a pull-up before bed, rest, then another pull-up, and a third Get down on the floor for sets of 10 push-ups and 20 sit-ups. I have to stay strong because only strong girls survive. My T.O. taught me that the Gila monster, Eloderma in Sonora, doesn't have venom fangs. But it bites down and won't let go. The poison is pumped along the base of its teeth. The lizard chewing the venom into its victim. Slowly, never releasing its jaws. I'm not always a good person. I try to fall asleep, but instead I stare into the darkness. To be a lifelong author, to be a writer, to improve, you have to read incredible authors. So I try to read every single night. And I try to limit myself just to writers who are beautiful, who are amazing, who are much more talented and revise much better than I do. I try to read a lot of these writers 
so that I can be inspired, so that they can teach me little things as I go. And the most impressive writer I read while I was revising this novel, American Afterlife, is the author Ocean Vuong, who's Vietnamese-American. He's a poet first, but wrote a novel titled On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous. And in this novel, the narrator, the main character, is writing to his mother, who's illiterate. I'm going to read the opening page here. Let me begin again. Dear Ma, I am writing to reach you, even if each word I put down is one word further from where you are. I'm writing to go back to the time at the rest stop in Virginia when you stared, horror-struck, at the taxidermy buck hung over the soda machine by the restrooms, its antlers shadowing your face. In the car, you kept shaking your head. I don't understand why they would do that. Can't they see it's a corpse? A corpse should go away, not get stuck forever like that. I think now of that buck, how you stared into its black glass eyes and saw your reflection, your whole body, warped in that lifeless mirror. How it was not the grotesque mounting of a decapitated animal that shook you, but that the taxidermy embodied a death that won't finish, a death that keeps dying as we walk past it to relieve ourselves. I am writing because they told me to never start a sentence with because. But I wasn't trying to make a sentence. I was trying to break free. Because freedom, I am told, is nothing but the distance between the hunter and its prey. This podcast episode is dedicated to my editor at Crooked Lane, Sarah J. Henry, who was incredibly honest about everything that worked and absolutely critically honest about everything that did not work in my first draft of this book. And this book would just not be the same book without Sarah. So thank you for that. This podcast episode's for you. And to everybody else who's listening today, thank you for listening to the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. And my-